Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 9, Rubicon. So, Vicki, did you like this episode? I know you're not going to believe me, but I actually like this much more than I did last week's. <laughs> it was so funny. I did not like this episode. And I was talking to my spouse and I said, it's funny because when Vicki and I talk, we usually are on opposite ends of whether we like an episode or not. <laughs> and I'll like it and Vicki won't. And Vicki will like it and I won't. There were a few we saw that coming moments. And there was one particular scene where I actually scared my son because I threw my arms up in the air and said, oh, my God, would you just say it? <laughs> so we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get, there. get there. Yeah. So let's go ahead. Since you and I had two very different perspectives on this episode, <laughs> let's just go jump right in. Okay. Actually, I'm going to start right at the, at the beginning with the title. Now, you understand what Rubicon means, right? Yeah, Kansas, 1977. <laughs> That's the most important meaning. But the second most important meaning is that it, it's symbolism for crossing a line that cannot be uncrossed. Right. The point of no return. The this... point of no return. And it comes from <laughs> Julius Caesar, who crossed the river, the Rubicon, and then plunged his nation into yeah. five-year civil war. Yeah. So that's what this episode theoretically is about, a line that now that it's been crossed can't be uncrossed. Right. The point of no return. How long? That song's been in my head for two days. <laughs> okay. Can we just go back to last week? Oh, for, yeah, cool. It was just a thought and it really doesn't have anything to do with anything. But last week when we got to the part where the Federation discovered the DMA was, uh, was mining equipment and not a weapon. And they were worried about how deadly the species weapons must be yes. if their mining equipment is that deadly. And you wondered why they jumped to the conclusion that they had weapons at all. And then later when we got to the part that you described as a Dyson sphere, uh-huh. it crossed my mind. But I forgot about it by the time we reached the end of the recording. It reminded me of the TNG episode when the bow breaks when the inhabitants yes. of the planet kept themselves cloaked to keep yes. the outside world out that was Aldea. the planet was out Al- and although they probably had enough energy to make powerful weapons they didn't they just wanted to keep everybody away yeah so your point about why would they jump to that conclusion is valid because we've seen that before that a planet just wanted to keep themselves cloaked and away yeah. and then you actually also stumbled across another reference to the mineral that there is it a mineral or the substance that they're mining. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> which was really thoughtful. I thought it was a really important sort of discovery to connect another dot. And let's see, what is the name of this element? I can never remember. Is it boromite? I or? never remember. It starts with a B, right? And I never remember either because it's just not sticking in my head. So I'm looking for it here. I have a summary right in front of me from Memory Alpha, which is a wonderful Star Trek wiki that has like everything. They do such a great job of connecting the dots and getting all the information necessary. 
boronite, B-O-R-O-N-I-T-E, boronite. So okay. like boron, but boronite. Anyway, so go ahead and talk about, because you, you stumbled across that, and I thought that that triggered a lot of interesting thoughts in my mind. I have to give the credit to, and like I said, I don't listen to Discovery Podcasts until after. We, yes. And actually, I don't listen to a lot of them anymore, because usually I listen to my car, and I don't go to work that much anymore. I, I work from home a lot. Yes. So, But I did listen to The Seventh Rule, just because it popped up in my feed. I listen to that for Deep Space Nine all the time, but I don't listen to it for all the other Star Treks that they do. But they said that boromite was the substance from Voyager that had a connection to the Borg. And now I can't remember the name of the... It was the Omega particle. The Omega particle, yes. So could this be the Borg? Yeah, that's what I'm kind of wondering too. If it could be sort of like the Borg, because the Borg could have easily left the galaxy in their pursuit of perfection and assimilation. Sure. I mean, with their, what do they call them? The, the, the subspace trans, transit corridors or whatever? Yes. Anyway, what if this is a community of Borg that have evolved in some way? Right. I was kind of shocked. I don't know if that would be cool. I'm undecided whether that would be... But that would be cool or not. Yeah. And I agree because it does seem like, you know, the Borg are, are such a go-to bad guy yeah um in a lot of star trek because they're easy to make the bad guy it's difficult to humanize them therefore difficult to empathize therefore you don't have to craft a whole lot of backstory or understanding of their descent into darkness for a villain right they're they're kind of in a way two-dimensional which is why i was really glad that they didn't use them in deep space nine yeah exactly i'm actually re-watching deep space nine again and i just absolutely love the layers of villainy from um, Ducat and the Cardassians and the Dominion and even the Klingons, you know, who were the villains for, you know, maybe a season. Yeah. And then Kai Wynn. And there's just so many layers of different kinds of villainy. This is really good writing. <laughs> Okay, Liz, we'll talk now about yeah. about this episode, about Rubicon. So we start off where, as we remember from the previous episode, Book and Tarka get the Isolinium for the isolytic weapon that Tarka has prepared. Now, his goal here is to destroy the DMA and lay claim to the power source at the center of it that he has determined is at the center of it with his fancy sensors. Yes. And of course, the goal of the Federation is to not destroy the DMA because they don't want the first contact with species 10C to be a destruction of their mining equipment, which could be perceived as an aggressive act. So that's where we've got the tension here. The only tension, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, okay. Booker and Tarka are building the weapon. And Tarka puts the isolinium in the weapon and says, okay, it's going to take a few hours to whatever it's going to do. You know, it isn't instantaneous. It has to do its thing. Meanwhile, we go to Discovery and Burnham has been sending messages to Book, just spamming him with, (laughs) come back, come back, come back, and sending him details about how it's mining. And maybe that'll change him now that he knows it's not an actual weapon. It's mining equipment that accidentally caused death and destruction. So then there's a conversation about whether she's going to be involved going after Book or not, because they've got the spore drive and then they've got a you know, find them and they have the tracker and, uh, you know, oh gosh, you know, but she loves book and is this a good idea? And this is not a good idea. So in order to put a layer of perspective on this mission to go get the isolinium and stop them from destroying the DMA, 
they bring back Commander Nolan. Right, and I was glad to see her back. But I was sorry that she came back in that capacity. But fortunately, nobody held it against her. Yeah, and I was glad to see her too. And it's funny, my brain doesn't work like it used to work anymore. So was she always this sort of stiff? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay. She was security and duty first, and she even says that, yeah. And she even said that, duty above all, yes. Yeah, because it was a little bit shocking that she decided to go with them when they went into the future because she was not warm and fuzzy at all. Yeah. Okay. Well, that helps. I was just talking to someone this morning and I just realized that I can't remember anything from 2020. (laughs) I was actually having a conversation with someone who reminded me of something that happened in 2020 and I had no memory of it until... She gave me some details and then it all came back. I was like, oh yeah, okay, now I remember that. But oh my goodness, nothing. Anyway, so (laughs) I couldn't remember Commander Nan's personality prior to this. So thank you for helping to remind me that this is actually not out of character. This this episode was not out of character for her because I found her to be a little, considering how when we last saw her and she stayed on the Seed Vault ship, essentially, I think that was called the TCOV. Yeah. She stayed on the TCOV and that, episode was a very soft and fuzzy episode she was very soft and fuzzy on that episode and so that was my last memory of her so to have her come back and be so stiff in this episode it's like is this the way it is or are they just making her stiff because they need her stiff that's the way i remember her i remember her good being that way i'm very pleased to hear that yeah okay anyway so they brought nom back very great to see her they were pleased to see her Burnham was pleased to see her, and her job was essentially to make sure that Burnham didn't fold under the emotional pressure of Book and got the job done. Right, and they sent her because Burnham was too close to the situation. Right. But then we find out that although Nan is not close to this situation, she has a situation where she waited too long. Like, they're sending someone to oversee the mission because a clear head is needed. But then we find out she really doesn't have a clear head because she waited too long and her team died. Yes. And I get, yes, she's a Barzan in duty first, but she brought it up, so I'm assuming it still has some bearing on the decision she makes in this position. Yes. And I think that that storyline was actually unnecessary. We didn't need justification for why she's doing what she's doing. Duty, above all, was perfectly sufficient and the other piece of it that i thought was interesting was how saru wasn't trustworthy either to be able to make a good decision so it's sort of like if you have an emotional connection you can't make a good decision that's essentially what they were saying which i you know i can see with burnham because she's his mate that is a different connection but saru isn't right anyway okay there we are so we're gonna go off and we're gonna go try to find book and tarka and Burnham is uh, is ostensibly in charge, except if she seems like she's crushing under the weight of her emotional attachment to book, and then, then Nan's going to take over. <laughs> right. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka... Please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. There is an interesting scene here where we see Saru contacting President Tarina of the Navarre and asking for help with his meditation, and she invites him to dinner. Yeah. Which I really, really liked. (laughs) I like the relationship that's developing between them. Yes. It seems so respectful and so positive. 
I'm liking it. But apparently it throws him for a loop, as we find out a little later in the episode. So then they jump to where they know Book and Tarka are because they still have the tracking device on the isolinium container. And so then they send a, a shuttle to go quietly break into Book's ship so they can take them into custody. And there's this little fight on the shuttle between a couple of the characters, um, Nielsen yeah. and Reese. Is that right? We actually saw some of that on the bridge between, what's her name, Nielsen? Nelson. Nelson and Reese, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then on the shuttle, it was Bryce and Reese. Yeah. Okay. You're right. right. On the shuttle, it was Bryce and Reese. Yes. Interesting that there's, you know, it's like they're laying the groundwork for sort of a little mini civil war. Right. But it's also the reason why we got those little silly stories that we got because Reese, who told the story about how he wanted to lead the evacuation because he lost his whole town due to an earthquake or something. And yeah. So, you know, he says on the shuttle to Bryce that you don't know what it's like to lose everything. So apparently that was the reason for that little story that didn't make sense. Right. Now And now we know. Yes. Right. So anyway, so they get to the ship and they dock with the ship quietly. But unbeknownst to Book, Tarka has added new defense mechanisms to his ship, which essentially tear its shuttle apart. And they're only able to rescue the shuttle crew because Book helps Discovery get them out of the shuttle so tark is like he's just a big old jerk man yeah you don't touch somebody else's ship yeah this is where and then we've talked about this before but this is just another thing where tarka is a liar he's a manipulator and a liar Mm -hmm. and so he i don't think i don't believe anything he says except for that one moment with owo when he was talking about his loss everything else all the story he's told book everything he says It's all manipulation and lies. As we discussed before, that could be true. But based on the story, if we're assuming... Taking him at face value. Right. That he does really feel that this is his only chance to get to whatever universe he thinks his friend might be, where he doesn't really know his friend is there, but he made a promise to be there. Yep. So he's going. So, you know, I don't know. You know, like we said, it could be all nonsense and lies. But from Nan's perspective, and this is where I think having Nan there was really interesting because she kind of took a step back and she was like, you know, without having any understanding or wanting any understanding of the personal relationships here, Book attacked your shuttle crew and nearly killed them. That's what she's seeing. Yeah. You know, we know that it was Tarka and he did it without Book's permission and Book's all of a sudden finding himself in the middle of a real mess with Tarka. But from Nan's perspective, they've been attacked already. So then Book jumps away, and he's disabled the tracker, so they can't figure out where he's going anymore. But then Non points out, in order to launch their weapon, they got to go to the DMA. So they go to the DMA. Now, when we were at the DMA the last time, wasn't it just all black? It was. And now it's like pretty sunset. Yeah. <laughs> Full of clouds. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they're farther in or what the deal is, but... Well, and then they couldn't get any farther in because whatever was in there destroyed a dot. That's so right, yeah. they couldn't yeah. see it. And it was destructive, and they couldn't get out, and they had to, like, do the sonar pinging to get out. And and now, all of a sudden, this thing is just like a big nebula. It was weird. This is not what I was expecting. So the rest of this episode was essentially jumping around a nebula, fighting, and this is where I started to fall asleep. Because at the last week's episode... And again, you and I had different perspectives on this episode, but I thought last week's episode did a great job of allowing Book and Burnham to discuss their different perspectives and try to understand each other. 
I don't think we needed to do it again this week, and yet here we were. Burnham's trying to explain things to him. Burnham's trying to talk him down. You know, he doesn't want to hurt people. He's just been doing what he's doing. We had that last week. We don't need it again this week. We spent a lot of time doing that, which was sort of, why? (laughs) (laughs) And so I put a big Z's on my notes. Because I was just getting bored, man. And I'm sorry. We also had, last week's episode, a a whole, whole big thing about understanding each other's tactics from when they were runners together or couriers together. Right. So all they were doing was, she was doing one thing, he knew what she was doing. He did one thing she knew he was doing. It was the nobody, same old, same old. Right, and nobody was going to ever get anywhere that way. And no one was going to get anywhere until she took a shuttle to go talk to him face-to-face through the window. Okay, so there's <laughs> where I threw up my arms and said, oh, my God. <laughs> she goes there, and instead of telling him what she needs to tell him, they have to have this whole conversation while Tark is standing there and could hit any button at any time. He's already and done he it. And he did. Right. So instead of just saying, you have 154 hours before this thing leaves, they got to say, great flying. You too. It was just, yeah. oh my God. So let's talk about that 154 hours because I thought that was a good idea that was then made painfully prolonged. She had this idea to evaluate how much boronite was in the area so they would know how long the DMA would stay to mine it all before it would jump to another place to find more boronite. And perhaps that was realistic, that it's hard to do that evaluation because there's, you know, all kinds of data that needs to be crunched by Zora, the supercomputer. But it did seem to take a long time. And she could have told him that's what she was doing. Give us a few minutes. We're calculating how much boronite is here so we know how long this will stay. So then we can figure out how much time we have to see what we can do. Would it have been that hard to say that? No. No. Anyway, and as you and I have already intimated or suggested here, we knew what was going to happen next. Tarka wasn't getting his way, so he pushed the button and destroyed the DMA. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) And that's the end of the episode. (laughs) To be honest, I was thinking about this, and this is what I would have done. I would have actually shortened this up so much and had Tarka destroy the DMA halfway through the episode and then found a reason a logical reason to grab Book and Tarka and make them go with Discovery to the other side of the DNA or have the disruption of the DNA suck them through whatever vortex is connecting the DMA with the other galaxy and have them, them both sucked to the other side of the galaxy. <laughs> you know, at the end, he found that the energy source that he needed wasn't even there. Exactly. And another one appeared to take its place. Another DMA appeared, which would have made for a really, I think, a very interesting opportunity to have Discovery and book ship sucked through to the other side, then having to deal with species 10C on a negative basis because they have now committed an act of aggression, defined. And meanwhile, a new DMA shows up and maybe have it be more assertive in its mining and have then the rest of Starfleet and all these other ships working together to try to stop it or do rescue or whatever. That could have been great parallel plotting. Anyway, I I was disappointed. So that's pretty much it. Is there anything else that I missed um, that you wanted to make sure we talked about? Well, we talked about Saru and his dinner date, but then he went to Colbert about it. It was a cute scene. Yeah, it was. I thought it was cute. And, you know, he discussed it with Colbert and he uh, pretty much called him an idiot. Yeah. He's like, do you care for her? And Saru's like, I think I do. And then he's like, go to dinner with her, idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty much the only redeeming thing for me for this episode was that the Saru bits with... President Tarina and um, and Culver. Otherwise, yeah. that's it. I think that's all I have. 
So on a scale of one to ten, okay. So let's talk about this. What did you like about it? Because you said you liked this one more than I liked it. So I tell did. me what you liked. About I did. It. I felt it kept moving. I know you thought it was boring, but I just felt it moved a lot faster than the last one. Okay. And I felt that there was more going on. Like we we were getting somewhere with the story more than the last one because that whole thing on the bar wasn't a barge, was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was it. Karma barge. Yeah. Oh my god, that seemed to take so long. You know, <laughs> even the parts that were good with oh fighting, did we need to see it three times? I felt like this one moved along faster, and I felt like at least we were getting somewhere. I was really afraid it was going to be three more episodes of them chasing book around. And maybe that's why I liked it so much because, okay, it's done. Now we got to figure out what to do next. They destroyed the DMA. Now what do we do? I thought right. it was going to take another three episodes. I was really worried that we were going to be chasing book around for three episodes or however many is left of the season. I think there's four. I don't know the names of them because um, they don't have them posted yet. Right now, as far as I can tell, there are four more episodes, another one in February and three more in March. And can we just talk about how excited I am to see the uh, Captain Pike series? Yeah, that's May, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Oh, I'm really looking forward to that. I know. Well, yeah. we we were rallying for that before they even came up with the... I have to imagine they already had the idea. They must have. Yeah, because I remember saying to you that I would rather see that than a Section 31 series. Yeah. Yeah, me too. A good Section 31 could be good. It could be a lot of fun. It could be like, it could be all out Deep Space Nine if they did it right. Yeah, but my question is, because I haven't really investigated it all that much, is Strange New World going to be set after they had already worked on Discovery and all of those incidents, or is it going to be before? Yeah, it's a good question. Because if it's after, we can get back some of those characters that we lost. Yes. Like Vok, well, Ash, and uh, what's her name? Laurel. Good. That would be really cool, actually. I haven't looked into it enough to figure out if it's after the events of Discovery or if it's before. Well, it could be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So anyway, on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you give Rubicon? I'm going to give it an 8 and okay. a quarter. An 8 and a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it a 5, man. <laughs> Oh, we're like the Siskel and Ebert discovery. <laughs> <laughs> so, anything else we need to talk about, about Rubicon? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, uh, the next episode, as of yet, is unnamed. So, we invite our listeners to join us as we watch episode 10 of season 4 of Star Trek Discovery. And we'll figure out that name next week. Okay. See you then. We'll see you then. Bye. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash moms going boldly and on twitter at moms going boldly the music used on moms going boldly is without limits by ross bugden music on twitter at ross bugden licensed under a creative commons attribution license creativecommons.org you can listen to moms going boldly on podbean spotify google Podcasts, stitcher and player fm and we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.